Welcome to the March 2019 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I'm Annie. And who am I in this book? I definitely identified with the main character a lot, but I think I'm probably like... I don't know who I am in this book. I didn't think about it before we started. Do you know who you are? I think I'm Jane's Sickles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love how that you picked the inanimate objects. It's so good. <laughs> I'm probably like the scientist that thing that thinks that's like doing the experiment. Oh, maybe the like guy doing the experiment. Giddies? Yeah. I might be him. Or maybe the madame, depending on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the the Duchess. Yeah. Yeah. She was pretty dope. <laughs> I liked her. Yeah. I'm Brit also. <laughs> <laughs> we are your uh, book book plate team. Cool. So this is book plate. We always talk about the forever young adult book of the month. We go about it by talking about it like a meal so we can digest it more easily. And we start with our amuse bouche. So uh, it's very short this month. <laughs> it's a Civil War retelling plus zombies. Sounds about right. Yeah. Oh, it's more, it's like post-Civil War. Yeah, it's, it is. But, yeah. But a lot of the, like, shamblers are, uh, like, soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. And now that I say that, I feel like I erased a very important part, which is it's told from the perspective of a black woman. And it's, you know, it's not central. It's, it's flipping the script. So instead mm-hmm. of centralizing the, like, white person's perspective it Mm -hmm. is looking at it from a black person's perspective which is very important in this story so our other cover take which is when we ask our significant others what they thought uh mine significant my significant other is jamile and he said a black woman taking her revenge on america Ooh, i like that i love it (laughs) because it really it makes me think about i mean this book is amazing i will pause it but that's makes me think about it like even more in depth mm-hmm. which we can talk about later um garrett already knew what it was about because i was listening to the audiobook in the living room while knitting or something and he was cooking and he's like and it was something about like the shamblers and blah 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 and he was like is that about zombies <laughs> and i was like yeah so i explained it to him a little bit then some time passed and i showed him the cover and i was like is he gonna remember <laughs> and he was like oh this is the zombie one and i was like damn okay well what do you think you might have said if you didn't already know that? And he looked at it for a minute and he said, like, some kind of, like, alternative history civil war, like, by the flag and the outfit. You know, it looks, like, old-timey and, like, she's some assassin who's, like, trying to free the slaves or something. And I was like, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> she's definitely revolutionary. Yeah. That's for sure. So, yeah, let's get right into it. The appetizer I have is smelly seafood bisque. <laughs> There's a scene where she has to kind of go as a servant, uh, as an attendant, they call it, and attend this, like, white people meal where they don't... She and the other black women and men don't get to eat. They're either servants or, like, like guarding the white people. And the white people eat this meal that's, like, kind of gross. <laughs> and at first she's, like, really hungry because they're not feeding her. And then one of the other attendants is, like, like that yeah, food's it's bad. It's super old fish and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. The rotting. There's a lot of rotting in this book a in lot. general. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the main 
thing is zombies, mm-hmm. which, oh, and it's by Justina Ireland, mm-hmm. which Justina Ireland calls shamblers, which I love. Yeah, that seems like a yeah something that they might say at the time. She <laughs> does such a good job of all of the world building. I mean, that's one of my things for later, but just yeah. like reimagining the zombies, this whole like hierarchy of zombies, the old zombies versus the new zombies mm-hmm. and being the reason why the war ended, not because the war came to a conclusive right. end, but because there were so many there zombies, a threat. they had to fi- Yeah. They had to fight them instead. But at the same time, I really like that it wasn't at the time. It was just like, okay, well there's this greater that we have to deal with, but it wasn't, there was no conclusion. There was no end. There's still racism. It's not like, Oh, we have to band together to like, fight this other greater threat and we'll all get along in the meantime and it's still real and there's still like a lot of racism and like still treating the black people like they are slaves even though slavery is technically ended and white people are mad about it and it's I like that it's more realistic even though this is like a fantasy ish book than having everybody suddenly get along just because there's a greater threat it doesn't eliminate like biases that people already had right it's like if that were true, there would be no homophobia in the black community or no racism in the LGBTQ community just because, like, white racism and white supremacy is a greater threat doesn't eliminate, like, you know, things already going on between the two groups. And sometimes exaggerates it. Yeah. Right? I think Ireland does a great job of showing that and, like, showing the truth of what, like, actually happened after the Civil War, you know, yeah. like... It wasn't like the slaves are freed and everyone danced around and held hands. Like, that is absolutely not what happened. The South became more racist and created, like, even more barriers to entry for newly freed black people to participate in, like, regulatory systems. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where you get the rise of the Jim Crow South and, Mm -hmm. like... Reconstruction. All of that. You know, that's where they come up with these crazy ways to, like, take money and not let... And, like systematically not let black people build up the like wealth and and economic viability that white people had right it's like we can't technically keep you as slaves anymore so we're gonna make it really hard for you or we'll find ways to get around it or you know so we can still exploit your labor yeah yeah (laughs) yeah which i mean they're literally doing in this book it's the native and negro re-education act or whatever and yeah there's there's i love this book but there's some problematic stuff when it comes to the native, native representation. Yeah. Which we can talk about like later. But yeah. Yeah. I didn't um, call that out, but yes, there is. Um, I think in the drinks you have world building. Yeah. We, so can, we can talk, talk about, about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought the old zombies versus new zombies was really clever. Cause I mean, there's zombies is definitely a genre that's been like done and done and overdone. And so I haven't like seen that before. I'm not like a huge zombie aficionado, but in the zombie lit that I have read or zombie movies or whatever that I have seen, it was just like a zombie is a zombie and they all act like this or whatever. But I like the idea that like, it's like the longer they've been dead, like the sort of slower and deader they are. And the fresh ones are still like almost kind of human ish. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting development. Definitely. It made it way more intriguing to me. Like, I yeah. really don't like zombies. I don't watch Walking Dead. I don't. <laughs> I used to. I just kind of fell off, but it's a good show. <laughs> I, I don't like the undead. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just I mean, not into it. I'm not into, like, scary things, but, like, The Walking Dead is just, at least 
from what I watched of it, I stopped watching around season like seven or something. I don't know. It's a lot. Of <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I'm like a, a couple seasons behind too. But it was just, it wasn't even like about the zombies. It's just about like humanity and like this group of people like doing what they have to do to survive. And like, it was more about that than I th- like zombies were like the setting for it or the catalyst for it. But um, yeah. I can't remember who was talking to me about that the other day. You know, I casually threw out the zombie apocalypse and they were like, yeah, what I know about zombies from watching and reading is that you got to watch out for your fellow humans more than the zombies. Yeah, that's like a big part of The Walking Dead, too. It's kind of what people will do to survive, turn on each other or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also what's going on here. Yeah. 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 I do have one question Mm. about (laughs) the zombies. She talks about how they've eaten all the horses. And I wanted to know, does that mean they've eaten other animals as well? Because I was imagining oh. if there's like such a horde and a mass of zombies, wouldn't they just be like eating everything alive, like kind of like locusts? Oh. And I was, because then uh, that would be a different type. I mean, that would be a different impact on the environment than. Yeah, that's a good point. Just taking out the horses. Um, Or I was like, do they know that the horses, do they know that eating the horses means that the people are now on foot? Are they Ooh. intelligent enough to know to know that? Because there's there's definitely hints that that they can think that they can think past and what, reason a yes, little bit. Yeah, that they That's have really rationality. Yeah, I didn't think about that because yeah, I feel like it gave me the shivers. Ugh, yeah, so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I guess I thought of it more as like because there aren't probably very many wild horses. They're all like domesticated so like if they're going after people like the horses are like an easy first target because like horses are gonna come with people i guess and also they're big and like can feed a lot of (laughs) zombies whereas like a you know a sparrow might not be worth it i Mm. don't know but yeah that kind of depends on their ability to reason or maybe it's just like what they could catch but yeah, that would have interesting environmental impacts for sure. Yeah, and horses are fast. They're not slow. Right. But if they're like tied up in a stable or That's something. That's different, yes. I was Because l- I was thinking about that. I was like, what about the buffalo? Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is a, re- a historic retelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, historically, white people killed the buffalo intentionally and completely changed the structure mm-hmm. of like the prairie ecosystem and native indigenous tribal like economy, essentially. But like if the zombies ate the buffalo, like that would still have a similar impact. Right. Yeah, that's Questions. an interesting thing to think about. I'm super excited for the second book. <laughs> Is there for sure going to be a sequel? I saw, I've seen it on Goodreads. Oh, yes. So. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly the story is not over. <laughs> yeah, no. Our main course is fried pork chops. And oh my God, I fucking love fried pork chops. <laughs> I love it. And so we've talked a little bit about this, but like the antebellum South, these are all like pieces of world building, but I, I want to pull them out. She talks about like the lost, the lost states. Mm-hmm. We haven't like learned too much about the, but there's like apparently a whole swath of states that they're just like people don't live anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the zombies have literally taken over. Yeah. The shamblers and like the safe cities and how they've tried to build these like walled safe cities, which may or may not actually be safe. That happened in The Walking Dead as well. Mm. Like they would hear about uh, like a refuge. Alexandria or some town that was supposed to be sort of this utopian like zombie free blah 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 that just turned out to be its own kind of hell because the people running it were you know not as they seemed and yeah yeah 
that's a classic trope also yeah it kind of reminds me of district 13 in um mm. the hunger games yes where it's like oh wow they went underground and they do their own thing and they're safe from like the capital and then it's like oh president coin is exactly the same as president snow <laughs> right yeah Ugh. yeah the main camps here are the survivalists versus the egalitarians yeah the survivalists are the people who've taken the hierarchy of races based on the bible <laughs> and decided that black people are meant to serve white people because black people are the son of is it oh, i'm totally gonna mess it up it's like the 13th apostle or no it's it's not the 13th apostle it's like the son of ham yeah I which remember is like that abraham's son that like isn't the chosen one it's not isaac mm. and so because they're kind of like not the chosen people they're meant to serve the chosen people who in this case are like white christian people mm-hmm. um and so they've perpetuated the structures of slavery but mm-hmm. now just called them servants and given them other attendance attendance yeah. other titles but they're still border patrol right oh. like all the shitty ass jobs yeah <laughs> dealing with the shamblers like as a barrier a physical human barrier between the zombie threat and mm-hmm. the white people they've put the black people between them that's a really interesting issue because you know they're trying to set up this like essential like utopia but like the idea is to create a society that is like comfortable and familiar and that people white people will want to come to so they're like enforcing and upholding these structures pretty m- much the way they were before yeah which is just interesting Right, and, like, even though they're freed slaves, they're still not actually free to do what they want. Right. They like still have to, like, pretend to, to be dumb. They on the condition to, that they serve, and they're the line of defense between the zombies and the, the white people. Yeah, the few jobs they're allowed to have. Yeah. You were talking about that earlier, about how, like, in movies, black actors would take these roles that are, like, upholding stereotypes. Or, yeah. Because um, it's what you could get. Because it's what you can get. And so, like, what you can get here is, again, like, very specific roles. Right. And you have to hope that eventually it'll open the door for other opportunities, right? Like, Jane, in the beginning, is just like, well, you know, being a Miss Preston's girl, it's, you know, that's rough work. But it'll open the door for other opportunities or, you know, it comes with the title of being a Miss Preston's girl. and The prestige. Yeah. Lead me to, you know, explore other open doors for me and stuff like that. And then it turns out. <laughs> mm. the other thing that i thought was really interesting is uh the discussion of science and how there's a they're testing these vaccines for the shamblers on the they call them negroes in this book uh-huh. um on the black people and that is also completely historically accurate white people have historically tested things the tuskegee experiments Ugh. like immediately came to my mind yeah all of it and still like Forced sterilization and just like so many things. I mean, the true history of this country is just like so disgusting. I mean, no wonder they whitewash it for kids in (laughs) like literally white wash it for kids in school. But, you know, I think that's also why books like this are so important. You know, it's posited as like a fantasy or sci fi, but it's it's so so real. real. Yeah. I'm just like really proud and impressed by Ireland and yeah. her like ability to weave all of these very complicated pieces into the story that in like an incredibly skilled way. Yeah. And I think like 
having it be a fantasy or alternative history gives you more freedom to explore those things than like than if it were like a straight up just historical fiction because like people don't want to hear it (laughs) or don't want to acknowledge it as being real no this is a real thing that happened in history so if you're like oh it's a fantasy then you can kind of like get your foot in the door a little more and like play with those ideas right because they don't want to believe it right yeah but if you already are like coming into a book saying like oh i have to suspend belief a little bit then i don't know there's more like more you can do with that as the author yeah it's i mean it's well overdue this like specific topic and look at our severely dark (laughs) history yeah uh so just like what the attendants are so we keep using that word it means that oh yeah (laughs) specifically a young woman a young black woman who's been identified as someone who will serve a white woman as uh, her protector yeah from the zombies and it's interesting because even in the the cities that were falsely declared to be like shambler free attendants weren't as in demand as much but then we're still seen as like a status symbol so like oh if you could afford to have an attendant even though you don't really need one that says something about you and your place in society and you know you must be wealthy blah 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 yeah it's like affording the black cook or you know the the woman who's going to take care of your children Mm -hmm. you know it's so twisted Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then the other thing i this book is just really well written but one of the things I really loved is Jane talks about her mother who like taught her all these things they're they're separated she hasn't seen her mother she actually doesn't I know I really liked the letters Ugh, the like letters at the beginning great. of the chapter yeah yeah she actually like doesn't know if her mother's alive but she's you're the one who likes unreliable narrators right? yes okay so <laughs> totally up your alley Jane straight up tells us she's a liar yeah like at the beginning of the book and there's one point where she's like I learned this from my mother and she always said don't be afraid to let yourself be misread yeah I just love this because from my my upbringing as a white person I was always told like you have to be honest you have to be truthful like my family with their career in law is like you there's like this justice component of like the truth will set you free Mm. but that's a completely privileged perspective from a white person who like has the ability to be like taken as they are and like believe. Right. Right. And we, what we get here is Jane using this to her advantage. Yes. And manipulating people in incredible ways that like super smart problem solving. Yes. You know, and like navigating this space that is so narrow, but like with, with like, incredible capability yeah and i loved it code switching (laughs) right exactly and like i loved it because like we tell kids all the time like don't lie to us don't lie to us but like sometimes kids need to know how to navigate situations for their own safety yes and this is a skill you know so i just really liked that as part of the the narrative yeah so i was um i was talking to my best friend about this today actually (laughs) she called me and um she was listening to the audiobook of Let's have like an inspired fantasy. We were just talking Children about Children of Blood yes, and Bone. Thank you. <laughs> Children of Blood and Bone. And she, the narrator is a black American woman, but she was putting on sort of like a West African accent. And so we talked about like, you know, why couldn't they find a person who was West African or who 
first generation and their parents were West African, so they can like do that accent with authenticity and it's kind of icky and blah, blah, blah. And I listened to the audiobook version of um, Dread Nation and I was just like, wow, I fucking loved it. Turns out it's the same narrator <laughs> and she's done a ton of stuff. She did like The Hate You Give and Everything, Everything and she's done like some non fit, like Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, all this stuff. And so um, when I found it, her name is um, Bonnie Turpin. And I just loved her voices in this book. And one of the things that I pointed out to my friend, Susan, was, you know, she did the the black slave accent. And thinking about it, like, it didn't bother me, first of all, because, like, there's no one else who could do that accent with any authenticity besides a black American. Because, like, nobody is alive who (laughs) was a slave or is the direct, like, child of a slave. But also that like in the book it's made very clear that the narrator is putting on this like caricature of herself or this persona to like not let people understand like how smart she is or that she can read and write and this and that so like it was done with intention and so like the 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 audiobook narrator like does that voice you know the sort of like oh ignorant you know whatever I was like well that didn't bother me because I guess there's like intention behind it and it's like you know part of the story and so we were just talking about that that was a really great moment yeah and it was so clear like i can like i can hear it even without yeah, having yeah, yeah. listened to the <laughs> audiobook because it's so clear she's putting on an act yeah People and then like oh i'm just a simple color girl i don't know right and then like <laughs> the, the language changes and then it's also you can totally translate that to like oh this is how black characters were made to speak in movies and like uh-huh. this is how like <sighs> it's code switching for a purpose it's not yeah so it's different, I guess, than what like Susan was saying about Children of Blood and Bone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we had like a really in-depth conversation about it. It was interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I, I thought Bonnie Turpin was phenomenal. The only thing that bugged me a little bit was that her, which I understand, her narrator voice was the same as Jane's speaking voice, which makes sense since Jane is narrating the story. But at times it was hard to tell like where a quote, where dialogue like started and what was like her internal monologue, mm. her internal thoughts. But, like, she did different voices for, like, the sheriff and the pastor or whatever and Catherine and, like, um, the duchess. Like, in my American ears, it sounded like a flawless Irish accent to me mm. <laughs> that she did for the duchess. <laughs> so, yeah, it. I was going back and forth between the audiobook and the Kindle book. And then I just was like, no, I'm going to listen to the rest of this in audio. It's pretty dope. That's awesome. I'm trying. Britt and I were talking about how audiobooks and how we have like narrator issues yeah the narrator can really make or break it really really does and and like even if i like everything about them if there's like one thing bothering me i can't stop thinking about it yeah in the book yeah yeah which is that's why it's so funny when i realized like susan was just like oh this narrator is doing this thing and it's like kind of problematic and blah blah blah. and i was just like wow the narrator of my book is so great and then i was like it's the same person (laughs) what (laughs) so yeah well, I'm glad she's getting so much work. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to talk any any more about like Jane as an unreliable narrator or like, any part of that? Um, yeah, I liked it because I feel like we as the reader might also have underestimated her at points. And then like, like I just assumed her mother was white, like the whole book until that reveal. Like, oh, mama was caught. Like she was doing the same thing as you, Catherine, like mm. passing. And I was just like, holy shit. Yeah, that was huge. That was huge, and I like that they talked about passing in like a realistic way, because that's a really important part of history that I think goes overlooked a lot. It's like letting people think 
something about you that's not true in order to survive or in order to get by or create more opportunities for yourself because you know there aren't any. Absolutely. Yeah. So for dessert, we have canned peaches. (laughs) Love canned peaches. And I here put female friendship because... Mm -hmm. Again, just like I really couldn't find something wrong with this book. Uh, yeah, <laughs> except for the well native depiction. Yeah. but we can talk about yes. that. Yes, we'll get to that. But like the female friendship piece, Jane and Catherine, also Kate, are like at first enemies, yeah. and then they discover this resiliency friendship. Yeah, because and, and then like real good friends. Yeah, and sometimes like I mean, when life <laughs> hands you you know life and death situations, like maybe I I feel like. In some situations, you might be on the same side because you have to. And then in others, you would have gotten there, but life just sped up the process a Mm. little bit. And I feel like this is a genuine friendship that would have happened anyway, but like this just accelerated it along. I also think Jane was like intentionally isolating herself and also underestimating Kate. Yeah. Right? Like Kate is also playing this game of letting people believe certain things about yeah. her. And it's interesting that it was Jane's idea for her to do that. Because mm. now, like, looking back on it, she probably was like, oh, my mom did this. I bet Kate can get away with it, too. Mm. So, yeah. The only piece that I don't like, which I will bring up just because, is Kate wants to be called Catherine. Oh. And Jane keeps calling her Kate. Yes. Which, you know, yeah, I mean. People should be able to be called what they want to be what called. What they want, not something that you although i mean not that this makes it better but jackson also calls her like janie jane right. which she has said like stop doing that and he does it anyway yeah yeah so i mean yeah. the politics of names is huge yeah and i haven't seen a book really like go into this in depth i mean maybe one day i have a name that people always have specific reactions to so i'm quite sensitive to it which is just one of the reasons why i bring it up and also just again about pronouns like they're mm-hmm. they're tied together mm-hmm. so actually when i started going as non-binary at work i <laughs> there was like a very severe reaction from some of the people i work with that ended up in like some internet trolling Ugh. and what i made the mistake of reading some of the comments that were being posted about me just to like know what was out there which yeah. i don't recommend um <laughs> but one of them was like some asshole saying like oh well if they don't want to be feminine, then they need to change their name. That's... Oh. And I'm just like, <laughs> one, you don't get it because non-binary isn't about... Let's see if I can put this together in a way that makes sense. I think there's a conflation of like trans and non-binary people. Non-binary yes. people are considered under the trans umbrella. umbrella yeah. But I personally do not identify as a trans person. Right. I have... I am me. I have always been me. I've always been this person. I just now have language to describe what I am. And so that's why I don't necessarily say trans because it's not like it was one thing and now it's different. It's just like different words. Yeah. So that but, you know, everyone is allowed to identify however they want. With that, I went through the process of looking up my given name and researching it. And I saw that it is a male name in Scotland. My family is... (laughs) somewhat scottish in our genetic makeup so i was like well fuck you bro like (laughs) it's non-binary from the beginning i love it when like i don't know gender roles are flipped on their heads like um like ashley used to be a male name right traditionally you know lynn also my sister's name we have my my family has a male family friend that's lynn Mm. my grandmother's name marion spelled the male way Mm. like there's a lot of that that we you know we've like 
batten down the hatches on like what is male or female mm-hmm. because people are so uncomfortable about it and i'm like why do we care people just really want other people to fit into neat little boxes so that they don't have to feel uncomfortable which like my um my non-binary student has a traditionally female name and like part of the process that when i met with their mom and the principal to like i think this was in the last episode mm-hmm. that we talked about um to just like talk about certain situations and what would we do if we're on a field trip and there's only boys and girls bathrooms etc like just the nuances of like navigating it at school and school related activities one of the things that came up was like do they want to change their name because that's like a whole different process where they would have to probably go to the district to get it changed in the system and all that stuff and for now they don't so yeah and that's their decision (gasps) shocking (laughs) (laughs) love it (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. It I mean, really doesn't. <laughs> the bathroom thing is an issue because, yes, finding yeah. a place to pee, everyone deserves a place to pee that feels safe and comfortable. Yes. And every other aspect, it really doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. The other, oh, the other piece. This is, we talked about this again, but like colorism. Yeah. Super important part of our nation's history and this story and which has also been like kind of circulating in the media lately like some people have said some pretty dumb things about it i don't want to call out indi- any specific individuals but i've seen conversations where like more light-skinned people are like oh i've colorism is affecting me too and it's just like that's not actually how it works <laughs> yeah yeah it's not the same <laughs> Yeah, it definitely affects people of different shades, but not on the same level and not in the same way. Because, like, right in this book, Catherine and uh, Jane's mom both sort of have that, like, internal struggle of, like, wanting to be true to yourself, but also, like, wanting to, you know, give yourself more opportunities and et cetera, et cetera. And, like, lighter skin comes with privilege. And, yeah, like, I know... That, like, lighter-skinned people sometimes talk about, like, being caught in the middle, like, not black enough or white enough for either group. But it's not it's not the same as what, like, dark-skinned people have gone through and continue to go through. It's kind of, I mean, I don't know if this is, like, a good comparison, but it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, body shaming and fat phobia. And when skinny people were like, well, I get, you know, comments too, like saying like, oh, you look anorexic or oh, eat a burger, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's insulting, but it's not the same on like an institutionalized level. Right. <laughs> at all. Like. That's the way you have to think about it. It's like yeah. the systems, the structures itself, yeah. the institutionalization of it. Like, yes, you might be discriminated against. Right. But that's not the same as having a system built. Or literally like fewer job opportunities and like, yeah. Exactly. Or like driverless cars that can't see dark skinned people. So are running them over. Like a we, What? Like, yes. Like racism is built into our systems. Like anyone I, who thinks technology is yeah, not. No, that's racist oh no that's definitely true because of like um uh people in china the face facial recognition were like confusing them with other people and it's like hmm why might that be or like i read a thing about um like automatic paper towel dispensers like don't recognize darker hands and like i've definitely been in bathrooms where that's true i'm like putting my hand under it over and over but then i put a white paper towel in my hand and do it and it sees my hand nice trick yeah (laughs) (laughs) i didn't come up with that i read that Oh. I decided to try it out and I'm like, oh, okay. 
that's, that's a thing. fucking nuts. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is like the actual structure. Right. And, and yes, lighter skin, there is light skin privilege. Absolutely. And in this case. And it's, it doesn't. It, yeah. Same thing that we've been saying. Like, it doesn't mean that there aren't certain like prejudices against you or like stereotypes about you. But there is privilege inherent there. Acknowledge it. Instead of just saying like, oh no, I'm I get mistreated too. <laughs> it's like mm, Yeah, but not in the same way and not, not in the same, to the same degree and yeah. not in the systemic way. Yeah. Like when we talk about racism at work, like I do work with like racial equity. And when we talk about racial equity, we have I was just doing individual artist grants and we actually have a question about marginalized communities, historically marginalized communities, which is coded language for black people, mm-hmm. <laughs> brown people, people of LGBTQ, mm-hmm. etc. AI questioning <laughs> communities like non-white people. <laughs> yeah. Non-cis hetero white people, right? Yeah. And what we found was that when white people were answering this question, one, they wouldn't say that they were white. There was like I read over a hundred of these applications and out of all of them there were maybe three people who said they were white there was a lot of white people applying if they were white the closest they would get is like maybe say caucasian or of irish descent or like some other western european descent but they would very very few of them would actually come out and say that they were white and then they would talk about experiencing individual prejudice Mm -hmm. like i was bullied as a child which is not the same as systemic racism exactly yeah yeah being bullied as a child does not keep you from getting a job as an adult right right and this specific one that i'm thinking of was a person who had a long career of like opportunity and clearly had been given a lot of money and chances to like make their artwork so being bullied as a child did not like keep them from those opportunities so that's not the same as like systemic racism that is Starts as a child, continues as you're an adult. Right. Cuts cuts off your path at every at every point it can. Right, because like um, when people hear privilege, they just a lot of times have the wrong idea about what it means. And it's like, well, I grew up poor. I grew up being bullied. Blah blah. blah. I'm not privileged, and it really just means like being white or being in like a majority group hasn't held you back from anything from any opportunities that's all it means and people just hear privilege and they get defensive because they don't fully understand what it means or sometimes don't want to understand yeah and white poverty is not the same as black poverty in this country my parents my grandparents were able to access like the gi bill after world war ii all of the african-american people who fought for this country were not allowed that so they were not allowed to build up intergenerational wealth. Right. So the poverty is intergenerational at that point and intentional versus like the the like your family might be poor, but they also still have opportunities available to them. Right. Like no one's telling you you can't do X, Y and Z because you're white. That's the difference. <laughs> that's yeah. privilege. That's all it means. And that's also like now people are kind of saying like you're not welcome in this space or this is which is not you. the same. True, but but that's why people get so mad yeah. because now they're actually hearing no for the first time and they're like, how dare you? Yeah. And it's like, whoa, slow your roll there. Yeah, it, uh, there's this quote: when you're used to privilege, then equality feels like oppression or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, similarly with sexism, like men 
if there's like three women in the room, they think there's half the population of the room is feminine. <laughs> or like if women speak a little bit, they think they're dominating the conversation. Like that perspective perception is very important did you hear the quote oh my god the interview with this woman i can't remember her name but she was talking about how like there need to be more women in like leadership positions in sports and did you i don't know oh uh, i do agree I with remember. that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm no. nodding my head but she just like her word like she was just so like matter of fact and eloquent and just be like this is what it is and it was very like it was making its rounds on the internet but i was just like Yes. And then, of course, there were mansplainy dudes in the comments being like, well, I think the most qualified person shouldn't go for the job. It doesn't matter if they're male or female. And it's like, I hate that. <laughs> most, most qualified is coded language for someone who was able to access college, mm-hmm. who was able to access the resources that has made them qualified to begin with. Like mm-hmm. systemic racism keeps specific people from being able to even go to college for the degree that they're fully capable of. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, there's a lot of coded language that we deal with every day. Yeah, I need to look up her name because I don't want to just <laughs> leave it at like you know that woman who said that I'll important thing up. about women. <laughs> so I will also mention in this book that the two uh, female friends, Kate and Jane, I think Kate might be Ace. Yes, which is awesome. I also read it that way because she was like, nope, not looking for a man. Not looking for a woman, just want to do me. Um, not interested. Yeah, not attracted to people. Yeah. Like, she literally says, I've never felt that way about anyone. And yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and when you were talking about, like, you know, you're like, I've always been mean. Now I just have the vocabulary for it. A lot of people have this misconception that, like, oh, being gay must be a choice because, like, there weren't gay people back in history. All of a sudden, everybody's gay and non-binary and X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no. People have always been. They just didn't have a vocabulary for it, right? Like, even in in this book, they don't say gay because that probably wasn't a word back then. It was like, oh, a woman who likes women or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And Jane likes both men and women. Yes. She, she like, learns how to kiss from a girl that she was, like, really into. (laughs) That's how I learned how to kiss. Right? I think most (laughs) of us probably learned how to kiss from a same-sex partner. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Anyway, I was super excited about that. I was like, ooh, juicy tidbits. You know, yeah. there's a lot of like death and violence, but also there's like some really great character building in this book that I was super excited about. Yes. Ugh, what is that woman's name? I will find out by the end of this episode. Cool. Well, we'll move on to drinks, which is the last piece. Yes. And which is lemonade. Next to the school, there's this like friendly white family who gives the attendants lemonade and cookies. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And but then also turns out to be like, complete they also in the end like abandon their people like they just run away you know they're like friendly but also not reliable (laughs) Mm -hmm. like not actually people you can rely on for help and I thought that was another way of like calling out kind of allyship you know like positing themselves as allies like oh we'll give you lemonade and cookies and then when like the shit hits the fan you actually need their support it's like bye yep you know (laughs) I loved that Muffet McGraw Muffet McGraw. She's a basketball coach. Oh, nice. Yes. At Notre Dame. Okay. Notre Dame. Yeah. And she like had this great quote about like, you know, not having enough women in power and like, oh, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) I'll look it up. Yes. But yeah, the last piece which we've been talking about is the world building. So other awesome things that we get in here is like a discussion of science and technology of the time. Yes. Which like the measuring people's heads and all that bullshit was 
real yeah. like people were just like oh like yeah. they thought that like they could find some measurement of the brain and whatever x y and z but obviously <laughs> that's bullshit yeah eugenics yeah is what that's called yeah but yes there people really put stock in that back in the day or whatever just wanted like an excuse to justify already being racist like oh it's science right it was reverse engineering they're like so the end result is we want to be racist how (laughs) How do do we we get there and justify it yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but they also talk about pathogens Mm -hmm. and um electricity and how those are like newly discovered things that are coming into play in this world and um jane has like a desire to read science magazines and she reads articles and like learns about these things from scientists, which is, is really cool. Yeah. And yes, they use like real historical people. Like they taught the, Oh my God, I'm totally blanking on his name, but it's, was it Pascal? The guy who discovered, Oh God, what do you use to fight bacteria infections? Oh, penicillin. Penicillin. The French dude who discovered that I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's actually mentioned by name in this book. Okay. And like, Tesla is men- and Edison yes. are mentioned by name in this book. So I loved that in this historical retelling, we're still using like actual historical characters. Scottish scientist, Ag- Alexander Fleming. Is he Fleming? Oh, I thought it was a French dude. Okay, then I'm wrong. But yeah, so I loved that part. Of- and then the last bit I have here are the Indian schools. So yeah, I remember when this book first came out, there being like some um, discourse on Twitter about it. And I think i remember the author getting a little defensive over it which is kind of disappointing but um there was a blog post that i found that compiled some of the arguments and some of the it's actually from a blog called american indians in children's literature Ooh, yeah cool. um which was established in 2006 and just sort of gives critical perspectives and analysis of indigenous peoples in children's and young adult books the school curriculum popular culture and society to their website fuck yeah yeah so they have a whole like <coughs> thing where they compiled some of the tweets about dread nation and like some of the problems with it i didn't read the author's note because it wasn't included in the audiobook mm. but apparently she she talks about it she talks yeah. about how indian schools were real right and yeah. a thing that happened yeah um, it's the only thing she gives like explanation for in the book she doesn't talk about any of like the antebellum south stuff or any of that but she like specifically talks about calls that out in the author's note yeah, she apparently said in the um, <coughs> in the author's note, this exploitative school system became the basis for the fictional combat school system in the alternative historical timeline of Dread Nation. She goes on to say, because if well-meaning Americans could do such a thing to an already wholly subjugated community in a time of peace, what would they do in a time of desperation? And then the blog says, there's a lot wrong in that sentence. There's the well-meaning... There's the already wholly subjugated community, which is a collapsing of hundreds of native nations into a singular group. And there's a time of peace. Peace for who? Yeah. Um, I recently became obsessed with Hamilton because <laughs> um, I saw it and like my life has forever changed. But after watching it, I was just like, where the fuck are the natives? There's like literally zero mention of anyone native in this show. And I Googled it and found an interesting blog post written by an indigenous man who was talking about that and saying like you know some people are saying like well maybe Lin-Manuel Miranda was doing the JK Rowling thing mm. or what JK Rowling should have done which is like if you don't know enough about it leave, leave it, it out. out but that's different <laughs> because she's like talking about a completely fictional like magical universe and this is like a real 
time yeah. period. And he was saying, like, it would be really powerful to see an all-Native cast of the show. Oh, and that wow. would, like, spark some interesting discussion. But, yeah. And so it's... That'd be super powerful. It would. Yeah. And, you know, so it's not that she should have just left out Natives at all. Because they were around at, they were in are around are still around are yeah still around. like not let's let's, <laughs> let's like be very clear i mean like in it, this time period but like also still yeah <laughs> completely still around and complete, which is a huge misconception like, that people yeah. have and it's due to the way that it's taught in schools it's like people talk about them the as a dead culture yeah. cultures you know, yeah cultures yeah. thank you yes it is not singular <laughs> and they are absolutely still around. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was an interesting point. And then they also say on page 33 of Dread Nation, I, Jane, heard that in, in that in Indian territory, they tried to send natives from the five civilized tribes to combat school to combat schools. But they quickly figured out what was what and all ran off. The army was too busy fighting the dead to chase them. So the government gave up and just focused on us Negroes. And then the author of this blog said, knowing the real history, that's a kick in the gut. Mm. I can bring up that there is a lot of anti-black sentiment in the indigenous community. and Yeah, I mean, Native people had slaves, which is something they also point out in this yeah. blog, too. Um, and vice versa. There's a lot of, like, misunderstanding of Native and indigenous sovereignty and, like, experience in the black community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of which are monolithic, right? Right. Like, there's all different types of experiences, black people, whether you're like from the U.S. or from a different country. And then there's, of course, like thousands of different tribal communities. So yeah. there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Okay. So I scrolled down to where they said, see number 47. <laughs> there's a lot of points. Dang. As I noted, Native kids ran away from the schools. Many died as they tried to get home. The school administrators called them deserters and tried to find them. Parents were notified when their child had run away, and then they were waiting, like, would their child make it home safely? Some Native communities would take kids in and hide them from the administrators. So that's what I meant when I read in Dread Nation that the army chased Negro kids, but not Native ones. Mm. Because, like, some of, like, the school administrations would try to go after them and stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's what this person was saying, like, you know, it was a kick in the gut that she would say, like, oh, they didn't bother. They The Indian kids ran away and the government was like, eh. And it's a fresh <laughs> wound because yes. the last Native school was closed, like, late 70s, <sighs> early 80s. I didn't even learn about the Native boarding schools until college. Right. Like, I didn't learn anything about that in school growing up. And it was and just like, why not? Right. I, and I, even, I don't even think I learned about it in a college course. I mm. think I was reading another book that mentioned it and I was like, huh, Indian boarding schools? And then I researched and I was like, this was a thing. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. I mean, and Canada, our neighbor to the north, also totally engaged in that practice and they are still taking Native children away. I mean, yes. it's huge. So this is not like something that's over and done and historical, right? right. This is like a continuous, egregious thing that's happening to these communities. And it's, yeah. And like... Yes, again, like, if you're going to talk about it, you need to talk about it with, like, sensitivity and intelligence and... Mm, okay, so here's... Sorry, this is the last yeah. thing I'm going to... It's a long blog post. It's definitely worth it, though, um, to read. But the last point that they made is that they had a conversation with the author on Twitter. Mm. So she wrote, Last weekend, Justina Ireland and I exchanged a series of tweets that began when I saw her sharing an article about 
the outing system and government boarding schools. In short, she incorrectly named the funding for the schools. In the exchange and through other sources, it became clear to me that the reason her book fails in its representations of Native peoples is because she relied heavily on archival research. Mm. The quote-unquote primary sources she used are items in government archives that are Mm. heavily biased. Though she lists several books about boarding schools by Native writers, it seems to me that she did not read them carefully. Mm, Ouch. Yeah. That is something we should 100% acknowledge. Yeah. Whose sources, whose stories... If it's not from the community, it's not being told by them. It's being spun for a specific reason. Yes. And to weirdly quote Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and the thing that was like major for me is just like the the main one Indian character in the book is just a real stereotype. Like physically, you know, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like that it he just I don't know he came around at the end as like being mentioned that he was also playing into the role or he was Mm, also trying to like play on the stereotype itself yeah Yeah. because he like I don't know if he was like a rebel working to take down the system from the inside but he was he went along with it but had other motives Mm, yeah it was mentioned so but yeah oh and then another sorry I said that was gonna be the last thing I remember like earlier when I was reading this blog post they also mentioned um I don't know if it was it was Miss Preston or somebody one of the teachers at the boarding school had taken a Sioux lover Mm. they mentioned in the book and that the rumor was that she kept an eagle feather that he gave her and Jane was like well I never saw any feather on her desk and the blog post was like why did they even mention that it's completely irrelevant to the story and it's just like a weird thing to say that's yep it yeah. is a weird thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I really, I mean, I hope that she will learn from Native people who are saying their piece and, like, challenging her on some of the stuff. And I really hope that she does better yeah. on that regards in the sequel. But I really am looking forward to the sequel. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something, if you're really going to go there and do that like that's something that you should pay a consultant for (laughs) yeah exactly sensitivity reader or whatever just yeah yeah acknowledge that like this isn't my forte maybe i have somebody who has real firsthand knowledge of these communities absolutely yeah cool all right (laughs) that's the end